Hello, I'm Martin. And I'm Angelina. And this is the CX Cast. Welcome today to Brandon Purcell, VP Principal Analyst here at Forrester. And this is the second in our series on our FD Forrester decisions priorities. So if you've listened to the first one, or if you didn't, here's a bit of background. A couple of years ago, we went out to people like yourselves, CX professionals around the world, and asked you, what are you working on? What's keeping you awake at night? What are your priorities? And we've rebuilt the Forrester information architecture around those priorities. They're things like establish, fund, and scale your CX team. Or in this case, it's all about generating customer insights. So this is where Brandon comes in. Brandon, what, what is our second priority? And what are the kind of key questions we get asked about it? Yeah, sure. So this second priority is collect and analyze data for customer insights. And I was so happy when we were doing that discovery process. You mentioned, Martin, that this emerged as one of the top priorities for CX leaders because I've been at Forrester seven years. And my first four years or so at Forrester, I primarily spoke to marketers or to data science teams who were creating models and analyses for marketing use cases. But within the last three years, something really shifted. And I talked to a lot more people with customer and specifically customer experience in their title. So CX is seeing what's happening in marketing and realizing, hey, we need to be analyzing data as well, transforming it into insights about the customer experience to improve the customer experience. And in a nutshell, that's what this priority is all about. How do you apply this alchemy of customer analytics to transform data into insights? Now, you asked me about the top questions that I get from our clients on this. And most of the questions I get about this priority are about customer data. Customer data is the core challenge with customer insights. Pulling data together from disparate silos is one. How do we create this elusive 360 degree view of our customers? Another one is how, you know, if we're in the CX function, how do we actually access data from other functions within the business who may not want to give it to us for various reasons. And then finally, there are data quality issues. You know, do we believe the data? How is the data captured? There are anomalies within the data. How do we explain them? And of course, there's no insights without data. So solving these foundational data questions are essential for finding customer insights. But one thing I do want to, I just want to debunk a myth, which is there is, I mentioned before, the idea of a customer 360, which is a useful construct because, of course, you want a holistic view of your customers. At the same time, though, it also stalls a lot of people thinking we need a perfect 360 degree view of our customers before we do any of this work. And that's simply not true. First of all, you're probably never going to have it. And second of all, there's a lot you can do with limited data as well. I like to tell clients to you know, start by looking at the data that they have, and that's going to enable current use cases, and then they can build from there. Excellent advice to reduce data waste. You mentioned CMOs, there's also chief experience officers, other executives really interested in distilling down the actions they can take based off of these insights. Who are the practitioners maybe who are actually generating these insights? It's a good question. I think about think about the life cycle of these insights in terms of insight enablers, insight producers, and insight consumers. And the people you just mentioned, Angelina, they're, they're the insight consumers. They're the people who are going to be interpreting these insights and using them 
to make better decisions as they interface with customers. The insights enablers are the people who are really doing that foundational data work I was just talking about. And the, the role of the data engineer has emerged as essential over the last few years. These are the people who understand the ETL, extract, transform, and load techniques that are necessary to bring together disparate data sources and, and create this unified view. And then the insight producers, well, they could be data scientists, which we've all heard about the scarcity of data scientists. And data scientists create machine learning models using advanced analytical techniques. But they could also be business analysts, you know, people who are taking the data that the data engineer is provisioning and using different types of business intelligence tools to find more aggregated insights. So certain types of insights could be generated by analysts and certain types need that data scientist. For those of you looking for guidance and, okay, what do these roles actually look like? We have job profiles for data scientists and data engineers within this service. So you can see what the typical job requirements and, and qualifications are of those people. So we're dealing here more with data that exists in the business, like point of sale data or transaction data, because our sixth priority is measure the ROI of CX, which we've got a lot of our kind of VOC and NPS and CX metrics. But is this more about operational behavioral data rather than sentiment data? Yeah, a lot of this is around that structured transactional operational and behavioral data you have, big data that you have on customers. What's really interesting, though, you mentioned sentiment is over the last few years, this fake wall that existed between structured and unstructured data has begun to erode. The tools for doing natural language processing have gotten so much better really in the last 12 months so that you can take the results of NLP and merge it back in with all of that operational transactional behavioral data you have on your customers to really flesh out that elusive 360 degree view. So not just what are these customers doing, but how are they talking about their perceptions of their interactions with you? In the past, CX professionals have been looking to find and fix low-hanging fruit, find problems in the customer experience in the journey, a specific journey and fix them. You're talking about data at a bigger scale. Why are they suddenly taking this on? Well, they're taking it on because today what's happening with this, this massive structured data that the companies have on their customers is each different line of business or business domain is looking at kind of their silo of data. And it's really helpful, like marketing is looking at campaign performance data and, and sales transactional data to optimize marketing performance. And different operational areas are doing the same thing. But if you think about it, what that leads to is a fractured and incoherent customer experience. I'll give you a, a personal example I like to share. So a few years ago, my wife and I really wanted to go to, to Iceland. It was on our bucket list. And so we did our research. We looked at different places to stay at booking.com and they retargeted me. They sent me a bunch of emails to stay in different towns with unpronounceable names. The problem was when they sent me these emails, we'd already booked our trip and gone to Iceland. Now I'm probably not going to go to Iceland many times. I may go again with my kids, hopefully, but it's not a place I'm going to go every year they missed that we'd booked the trip and we booked it through them. And that's because different parts of the business, marketing and finance and ops, weren't actually sharing these data on each other. Instead, if they had, they could have looked at people like me. Where do they go the year after they go to Iceland? You know, maybe they go somewhere else adventurous. I would have welcomed that type of recommendation. So that's what's happening when you don't get someone like a CX professional involved who's, you know, whose whole raison d'etre is to look at the entirety of the customer experience and ensure the seamlessness of the experience that you're living up to the customer expectations. 
So you're getting into a space where we're, we're pushing this year around collaboration between marketing, CX, digital, et cetera. It's going to be a theme for our, our conferences as well. And it kind of begs a question, like in super high-end digital businesses, you've got this real-time telemetry on what consumers are doing. You can react to it in real time. But that's very aspirational for a lot of folks. On an average CX team, what does good look like and what should we be shooting for? That's very true. There are certain businesses like those very mature tech companies that have a lot of data, streaming data. They have almost real-time insights on their customers. And then you have a mass of companies that, that aren't in that situation. You have some companies like financial services that do have data on their customers and can do quite a bit with it because it's known customers. You know who's making transactions. And then you have retailers where a lot of that transactional data is, is anonymous. And so the first thing you need to do really is take an inventory of your your current data sources and see what data you have. Is that data about anonymous customers? Is it about known customers? That's going to dictate how you actually can take action, how you can activate those insights. Also, the frequency with which the data is updated. Is it digital data that's updated in real time? Or is it data that's updated in more of a batch process? Data at the end of the day is going to dictate what's possible to you. And what I've seen with companies is they can start with very kind of simple use cases that move the needle and use that as a business case to make additional investments in data, whether it's third-party data sources to fill some of those gaps or data collection, collecting maybe zero-party data on customers to fill some of the gaps that you have. That's actually a good way to think about where to start. Can you elaborate a little bit more about where you see teams starting and making traction? Yeah, sure, Angelinas. We have a tool for this in the service. It's an Excel template that teams can download as they're getting started. And it walks you through how to prioritize various use cases. So this entire service that we're talking about today, if you, if you open up the vision report, there's what we call the customer insights lifecycle. And it starts with business objectives before getting into the data and analytics. And that's where this tool starts as well, articulating business objectives. What are you really trying to do? You know, are you, we're facing a, an imminent economic downturn. Are you trying to retain the customers you already have? Because we all know that it's more expensive to win a new customer than to save an old one. So if retention's your number one objective, list that. It might be acquiring customers. It might be differentiating in a commoditized market through better customer experience. So articulate your various business objectives. Like I mentioned before, take stock of your, your data sources. And then after that, you can start to marry those business objectives with data sources and identify individual use cases. You know, if churn's your, churn's your goal, we have great research about churn modeling, how to predict which customers are likely to churn so that you can go out and prevent their churn, especially if they're high value customers, that might be your, your number one use case. Once you have those use cases listed, then you can use the prioritization framework that we have, which is around one feasibility, given you know, the current state of your data, current resources and tooling. And then the second piece would be value, expected value from that. And at the end of the day, of course, you're going to want to prioritize those use cases that are highly feasible and are likely to, to provide real value to the business. So you've articulated the vision for teams and what good looks like. We've talked a little bit about some of the tooling that we're starting to create within the Forrester Decisions framework. Obviously, there's more to do, right? What are you really excited about for this year? What's next with the research? 
So what I'm really excited about is where companies are starting to go with this. The companies, like you mentioned, Martin, the ones who are digital natives, who have a lot of data. Also, I've seen certain very large banks who've invested quite a bit in their analytics practices getting near this state that we call the next best experience. Basically, what next best experience says is that if you reach a certain level of analytical maturity, you're probably producing a lot of analyses and models based on data, which is great. They're all yielding great insights. But you end up with this additional layer of noise. All of these insights together create new noise. How do you actually decide what do I do the next time I see this customer? Or what do I even do proactively for this customer based on these insights, which could be contradictory? Next Best Experience says, well, you probably have been testing this unwittingly in the past. And so you should look at historical customer behavior and the different types of treatments that you've exposed those customers to and see what's had the highest impact on customer lifetime value, the long-term profitability of that customer relationship. That's going to be your next best experience. It could be a marketing experience, but it could just as easily be some sort of customer service experience, maybe a product experience. We have auto manufacturers who are really interested in embedding the next best experience into a, a connected car, for example, to ensure that people are getting the most utility out of the vehicle they purchase. So they'll repurchase when they're ready. So that's what I'm really excited about is helping our clients along from the, the foundational data piece through the insights building piece through this final next best experience orchestration piece to achieve this paradigm. Maybe this is a duh for everyone else, but I just made a connection between what you're describing with next best experience and the problem you described before of everybody communicating with the customer on different wavelengths. Sounds like it could be a huge win all around. Absolutely. Yeah. The companies that are getting closest to this paradigm are creating cross-functional teams. Anyone basically who's product service channel touches the customer to create that arbitration layer. All right, what is that next best experience when we have really good insights from marketing and really good insights from CX and really good insights from finance? So yeah, it does require cross-functional collaboration for sure. So outside of the, the pure play digital businesses, which I'm always going to argue are a bit simpler because they don't have as many channels, they don't have as much legacy, who's really killing it? Who would you look at as best-in-class examples? Sure. In the Next Best Experience research, we cite Charles Schwab. They were kind enough to share what they were doing around Next Best Conversation. So kind of a step towards the Next Best Experience where their internal analytics team was creating models for cross-sell and upsell likelihood among their customers and delivering those results to marketing. But they realized, well, we could also impact another channel when customers call in to fix a problem. And so they started delivering those insights along with additional insights around why customers are likely calling in based upon their, their behavior. What type of problem were they likely to have? Today, when a call center rep at Charles Schwab picks up the phone, they see three next best conversation candidates to have with that customer. So they're armed with these insights and it could be, hey, it looks like you're calling about this trade that didn't go through. Or it could be, hey, it looks like, you know, you've reached your threshold in options trades and maybe this other type of account would be better in upsell or cross-sell opportunity. It's sort of like when doctors and AI work together to identify tumors, but Maybe not so serious. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's it's similar that there's a human in the loop there, for sure. And that's, you bring up something really important, which is that, you know, in the digital space, some of these insights are going to be automatically actioned upon, right? There's no human in the loop. There's no time for latency. And then sometimes you will have a human in the loop. I bring that up because in both cases, you definitely need to monitor. But really, in the first case, we're talking about how you're impacting your customers. 
you definitely need to monitor and not just operational metrics like we've been talking about and that I cover, but also all of the other CX metrics. And that's what I really like about what Schwab did. They basically set an NPS threshold and they said, given this new next best conversation model, we're going to watch the NPS after these conversations. And if it dips below a certain threshold, we're going to pull the plug. Brandon, really appreciate you coming on again and your knack for explaining complexity and simple frameworks and steps and discussing the art of the possible. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forster.com or message us on Twitter at cx underscore cast. As always, you can find us at www.thecxcast.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next time for more CX Insights.